Welcome back to The Wisdom Journey, where Stephen Davey is teaching through the Bible. This series is taking you through all 66 books. Today we come to Romans 2. Before condemning others, we need to take a close look at ourselves. Your sins might not be as glaring or as public as those of others, but your sins are clearly revealed in the light of God's perfect holiness. That calls for genuine humility and compassion toward others. I remember reading some time ago about a new hotel chain that was interviewing for staff positions from custodians to clerks to to maids. Uh, Those who were conducting the interviews were given some rather unusual instructions. They uh, They were told that any prospective employee that they were interviewing who smiled less than four times during the interview was automatically to be turned down. So anybody who didn't smile at least four times during that 20-minute interview was not asked to come back. And that's because, you know, on this kind of job, they they probably weren't going to make very good first impressions with customers at the front desk or maybe in a back hallway. Wouldn't it be great uh, to do that in the church? I mean, if it's good enough for a hotel, shouldn't it be good enough for the church? Anybody who comes to church and smiles less than four times gets a note in the mail that says, find another church. (laughs) Well, that might change the life. Certainly, it'll change the personality of a local church. Sociologists have studied the subject of first impressions, and they've concluded that the opening moments of any conversation just sort of sets the tone. If you make a, a good first impression, people will like everything about you, even though they really don't know anything about you at all. Uh, Sociologists call this the halo effect. Of course, the trouble is this plays into our world today where image carries more weight than character. And that's true in the church as well. Uh, We can actually become quite good at polishing our halos and and making good impressions on, on other people. And yet it's not who we really are. Well, so far through the first chapter of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul has been exposing the pagan world, their denial of a creator God, their love for sin and perversion. And a lot of of you might be saying as you listen to me as we go through this chapter, well, amen, Paul, you know, you need to go after those guilty people. Well, back in chapter 1, Paul says in verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. And back to verse 20, Paul says, they are without excuse. Well, we've read those verses, and so far it's, it's, you know, it's been all about them you know, all those, all those sinful people. And the reader of chapter 1, you know, just might polish his halo and think, well, I'm glad I'm not in this chapter. I'm not one of them. They deny the Creator. I don't. They defy God's natural design for morality. I don't. And, and yeah, they, they certainly are without excuse. 
But now here, as we arrive in chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul switches the pronouns from they and them to you. Verse 1 opens, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. Well, Paul is no longer writing here to the immoral person. He's writing to the moral person, the religious person, uh, the person who smiles when he's supposed to, the person who's not going to jail, the person who usually shows up in church, the, the, the guy wearing a halo. Well, in chapter 1, Paul is proving why the immoral person is without excuse. And now here in chapter 2, Paul is going to prove why the moral person is without excuse. And you might be wondering, well, how can that be? Well, let me read the, the rest of verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. So what's happening here, these people are hypocritically standing in judgment of other people. And it's important to understand that what God is condemning here is people judging others for sins they themselves are practicing. Nowhere does the Bible prohibit all judgment. In fact, the Bible makes it clear that judging right from wrong is is very important for the believer. For example, we're to judge ourselves with regard to personal holiness, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're to judge sinning believers as it relates to their repentance, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're to judge teachers as it relates to doctrinal truth. That's Romans chapter 16 and 2 John chapter 1. Paul actually writes to the Corinthian believers, the spiritual person judges all things. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 15. You see, in these cases, he's not talking about hypocritical judgmentalism. He's talking about making judgment calls. That is between right and wrong, between something that's good and something that's better, and that's what a Christian ought to be doing. The Bible also tells us when it's wrong to judge, uh, it's wrong to judge when, well, we, we don't know all the facts, that's John chapter 7, when we don't know people's motives, First Corinthians chapter 4. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says in verse 4, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck? the splinter out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. He's talking about a judgmental attitude of a hypocrite. In fact, you might notice the splinter and the log are made out of the same material. So the judgmental person actually has the same sinful problem as the person he's judging. In fact, for him, it's actually a much bigger problem. Well, that's the hypocrisy Jesus is referring to. And by the way, Jesus doesn't say, get the log out of your eye and ignore your brother's splinter. No, that's not what he says at all. No, confess your own sin, clean up your own life, and then with clear spiritual vision, you can help your brother clean up his life. Now, here in verse 2, Paul writes this, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. In other words, here, the moral man has an intuitive knowledge of of right and wrong, but he so often overlooks the the fact that that he's also guilty before God and worthy of judgment. He, He dismisses his own sins as inconsequential, even as he's condemning the sins of others. Well, God's standard of judgment 
is his perfect holiness. And moral people, by the way, no matter how moral, how shiny their halo is, well, they're going to be judged by God's perfect and holy standard. So with that, here in verse 3, Paul delivers this rather severe warning. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Paul is saying, look, if you're going to make yourself a judge of others, you better remember that you're going to stand one day before a perfect judge. You see, the moral man says, I've passed judgment on the murderer, the adulterer, the blasphemer, the thief, but, you know, that's, that's not me. I've never done any of those things. And he forgets the words of Jesus, the perfect judge, who said back in Matthew chapter 5, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. He raises the standard. No, you haven't pulled out a gun and shot anybody, but in your heart you've hated people. You wish they were dead. Jesus says, well, that's as good as murder. And he goes on to say the same thing about adultery. Inward lust is equated with outward adultery. Frankly, none of us, beloved, stands a chance when we meet a holy God. None of us has a halo bright enough to impress the perfect standard of God. In fact, Paul's warning is echoed in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. It is appointed for man to die once, and after that, comes the judgment. Well, let me tell you, beloved, nobody's going to be hiding behind some self-righteous halo then. You know, because God is omniscient, he's all-knowing, none of our sins have gone undetected. Because God is omnipresent, that means he's everywhere present at once. No sin could be denied. And because God is omnipotent, that is, he's all-powerful, none of us can escape his judgment and punishment. The immoral person is without excuse, and the moral, self-righteous, hypocritical person is also without excuse. That's, that's really another way of saying all of unbelieving mankind is in trouble with God. Why? Because we're all guilty of sin. And that means we're all in danger of God's coming judgment. Let me tell you, there's only one hope. Before the day of judgment arrives, settle out of court. Let me encourage you to meet that judge before your court date arrives. Ask for the mercy of the judge. Claim the payment of his son's death for your crimes, your sins. That is your only escape. Again, what does the Bible say? The wages of sin is death. But... The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. And with that, we're out of time for today. Until we set sail again next time, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Stephen called this lesson, Why a Halo Won't Help. Stephen Davey is the president of Wisdom International. 
and we produce this daily program. Stephen's desire is to help you know what the Bible says, understand what it means, and apply it to your life. I hope you're finding that to be true. And if so, we'd love to hear about it. Why not take a minute and drop Stephen a note? He'd be encouraged to hear how God's using this program to build you up in the faith. If you prefer communicating electronically, send your email to info at wisdomonline.org. If you prefer the U.S. Postal Service, our address is Wisdom International, P.O. Box 37297, Raleigh, North Carolina, 27627. Again, that's info at wisdomonline.org or Wisdom International, P.O. Box 37297, Raleigh, North Carolina, 27627. We'd be very glad to hear from you. Thanks again for listening. Join us next time to continue the wisdom journey.